Now that's a parking spot. Introducing the I may have underestimated the size of my car policy with accident forgiveness from American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote. Find an agent. Visit AmFam.com. Optional policy features not included in base policies. Review policy for coverages and exclusions. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, SI, and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Well, I suffered through the Zoom call one more time for you. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. The phone number, if you would like to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I got to tell you guys, this will be totally over your heads to a degree, but, but so, you know, I, I do an evening show as well on, on WSB in Atlanta and they asked, have asked me every day to record some audio about the convention and, and get it in there overnight. And I am so exhausted after watching that zoom call, I've had to get up every morning and record it. If I remember to record it, of course the other, cause I mean, this, these things are running, they go on and on and on, and and then I'm exhausted afterwards, and it, it takes uh, amounts of bourbon and cigars to get me through them, and I'm just in no position to record afterwards, y'all. I, I I'm awake. I was up. I watched. I watched the whole thing. It was last night was the worst programming of the Democratic convention. I I don't know who thought Julia Louis Dreyfus in there, uh, Louis Dreyfus as. The moderator was good. Her jokes were terrible. Everything fell flat. Um, you you have a moment about kids dying with cancer, and suddenly she comes back for a joke about Trump. It, it did not work. It, it did not work. We'll get to all of that, but I know what you're really interested in. You're, you're interested in Joe Biden, and, and what did Joe Biden actually say? Maybe you're interested in that. We're going to review it. Let me give you my bottom line on Joe Biden's speech. Uh, I, it is, it's clear the Republicans and a lot of Democrats set expectations so low for Joe Biden. All he had to do was come out of the basement, read the teleprompter for more than 10 minutes and not screw it up. And he would be okay. And he did that. Uh, Joe Biden, it turns out, is not a vegetable. He actually can stay up past his bedtime. Uh, maybe he ate his Wheaties, uh, but but he was able to give up, stand up there and give a speech. His speech was not soaring rhetoric. I, you know what? I, I got to let me read Peggy Noonan on this one. Uh, Peggy Noonan, I actually think, uh, is, is on the money in this. Um, gosh, where did it go? I had Noonan's column pulled up and, and then disappeared. Um, Peggy Noonan. I there's there's a reason that we got to read Peggy Noonan's uh, what what she wrote about Biden because it really is so spot on. Uh, yes, here we go. The Democrats missed the meaning. Let me read for you some what Peggy Peggy Noonan wrote. I'm going to focus on Joe Biden, not the rest of it. As for Mr. Biden, all his political life, he's tried to express himself in ways he thinks eloquent, but that tend to only be long winded. He chases a thought a long way, even when it's a small one and not worth the hunt. All of this is part of his old school way. It is neither harmful nor helpful, but he had a strong, tight speech. He looked good, spoke crisply, maintained focus. The speech is going to do him some significant good, though he didn't make his plans and intentions clear. And and that is exactly what I would think and, and say, that he he went a long way for a short distance 
he didn't screw it up and he came across as sincere. And if you're a politician, you want to come across as sincere. And he did that. Now, if you're a Republican, you'll hate him. You'll think it's a terrible speech on and on. If you're a Democrat, you'll think it was the greatest thing ever. You, you'll be you'll be playing that at night to lull you to sleep. It will put you to sleep. Um, it, it was a fine speech for what it was. It was fine. Even even on Fox last night, uh, even on Fox, they were they were good. But I, I want to read this other bit from Noonan. Uh, two small thoughts. I'll try not to chase too far. First, Democratic Party officials are funny about policy. They take it seriously, but don't think other people do. The past three decades, they wound up thinking all politics is about glitz, emotion, and compelling characters. Part of the reason they're like this is they never thought Republicans were serious about policy because if they were, they'd be Democrats. They find it hard to credit the importance of policy and making of a party's fortunes. They thought Republicans liked Reagan because he was handsome and George H.W. Bush because he fought in a war. But their elections were policy victories. Charm and humor, stagecraft and showbiz matter, but they're not everything. They're not even half of everything. Because boomer Democrats thought Republicans won on glitz, they got glitzy in return. It was the central Clintonian inside of 1992. We have to become actors like the actors we seek to replace. It only made politics worse and left Democrats unable to speak in public forums of the central point of politics. Why you stand where you stand and what you intend to do. And that is what was missing last night. Uh, Joe Biden wanted to be this Manichaean darkness versus light. Uh, Good versus bad. He never mentioned Donald Trump by name. Never mentioned Donald Trump by name. But it was very much darkness versus light. Uh, he, he He will be on the side of the angels against the side of the devils and demons of hell. He will raise people up where the other has put them down. He will fight the virus while the other side has denied the virus and on and on it went. Um, it was it was a perfectly manageable speech. For Joe Biden, it was good. The bar again, it was set so low. Um, it, it was set so low he was fine. He was totally fine uh, and and didn't have to go there. Um, I I just I I I just I I, I it, it to quote President Trump it is what it is that's all we need to say about Joe Biden's speech uh we'll see but 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 the Democrats have provided the Republicans an opening uh because despite protestations last night on CNN uh, it really wasn't very substantively focused on policy. Sure, there were policy proposals uh, sprinkled out, and no one is asking for 2,000 pages of legislation. But they kind of threw a few things out where we want to increase taxes on the rich. This is one of Joe Biden's points of we want to, we want to, uh, we don't want to reward the wealthy. We want to reward the workers. Uh, and, and, but when you actually delve into the policies they advocate, this gives the GOP an opening. Their policies are policies that a lot of Americans won't like. For example, uh, banning charter schools, uh, ending your ability to access uh, the, the gun market, raising taxes on everyone. I think those are things the GOP can play up this coming week. In addition to having people like Linda Sarsour and, and other bad actors there, the Democrats want to obsess over, for example, Marjorie Taylor Greene here in Georgia or Laura Loomer in Florida, uh, but they want to completely ignore Linda Sarsour or Ilhan Tlaib and, and, and Ilha, or Ilhan Omar Rashida Tlaib and, and the like. They, they pay no attention to them. They're all perfectly fine. It, it's the Republican crazies who are, who are the crazies we need to worry about. Uh, the GOP gets to point out that that um, uh, Linda Sarsour was there. Even Joe Biden uh, w- was upset about it. By the way, it, it's pretty clear indication that the Biden team did not outline the entire agenda. 
it is pretty clear to me that that Democrats somewhat ignored the Biden team because the Biden team did not want Linda Sarsour there. It was very clear how aggressively, angrily, the Biden campaign came out about this, uh, that, that she was on one of the panels. Linda Sarsour was. Linda Sarsour, for those of you not familiar with her, uh, aggressively anti-Semitic, hates Israel, uh, leading the uh, boycott and, and divest movement, the BDS movement against Israel. The Biden campaign quickly came out. They condemned that movement, uh, said they didn't want nothing to do with her. She was not there uh, by them. Um, it, it, the GOP has an in in highlighting this, and the Biden team knows it. Now, what did Biden actually say? Let, let's spend a moment here. Back Social Security and Medicare. You have my word. One of the most powerful voices we hear in the country today is from our young people. They're speaking to the inequity and injustice that has grown up in America. Economic injustice, racial injustice, environmental injustice. I hear their voices. If you listen, you can hear them too. And whether it's the existential, th existential threat posed by climate change, the daily fear of being gunned down in school, or the inability to get started in your first job, it will be the work of the next president to restore the promise of America to everyone. And one more. Believing the job is all about him, never about you. Is that the American you want for you, your family, your children? I see a different America, one that's generous and strong, selfless and humble. It's an America we can rebuild together. As president, the first step I will take we to get control of the virus that has ruined so many lives. Because I understand something this president hasn't from the beginning. We will never get our economy back on track. We will never get our kids safely back in schools. We'll never have our lives back until we deal with this virus. The tragedy of where we are today is it didn't have to be this bad. Just look around. It's not this bad in Canada or Europe, or Japan, or almost anywhere else in the world. And the president keeps telling us the virus is going to disappear. He keeps waiting for a miracle. Well, I have news for him. No miracle is coming. We lead the world in confirmed cases. We lead the world in deaths. Our economy is in tatters with black, Latino, Asian American, Native American communities bearing the brunt of it. And after all this time, the president still does not have a plan. Well, I do. If I'm your president on day one, we'll implement the national strategy I've been laying out since March. We'll develop and deploy rapid tests with results available immediately. We'll make the medical supplies and protective equipment that our country needs. And we'll make them here in America so we will never again be at the mercy of China or other foreign countries in order to protect our own people. There you go. So there's a line that stands out of that. I, I wanted you to hear the full context. I, I, I never like to take anyone out of context playing really short nuggets of stuff. Uh, occasionally you have to. Occasionally that's all they say. But where I can, I try to play a larger bit of it so that you yourself can hear the relevant context. The line that stands out from what Joe Biden said in his speech last night that I find most notable is no miracle is coming. And 
I if if I were a Republican strategist, and you could already see some of them buzzing about this line last night. If I were a Republican strategist, I would focus on the miracle, uh, no miracle is coming to save us line from Joe Biden's speech last night. You heard it in, in, in the audio I played, uh, and I think that's a line that could be used by the GOP against him. The other thing that really stood out from Biden. Now, listen, I, I'm not going to vote for Joe Biden because he uh, supports policies that uh, support allowing people to tear children limb from limb and sell them from scrap. I, I am pro-life. I will not vote for a politician who supports abortion rights, Joe Biden does. So voting for Joe Biden is not an option for me. An option is staying home and not voting for Trump. Uh, and given, I mean, everything you've heard this week at, at the at the uh, DNC, I, I'm I'm going to vote. This isn't a stay home election. Now, I I I, I for maybe later in the show we'll get into why at, at this point in my life I'm I'm done with the whole this is the last election to save America stuff. America's toast. Uh, long term. I, I mean, y- y'all, have you seen the Netflix show? I mean, it, it's not just Democrats watching that crap. It, it, it's Republicans, too. Uh, culturally, I've read the end of the book. Um, the, the the nations will rebel. Jesus will come back. And I'm more focused on eternity than than winning elections. Uh, we need to win this election. But you know what? It's not going to be the end of America tomorrow if we don't. Um, for those of you who think socialism is this is the last election to fight against socialism. The Republicans never repealed Obamacare, people. Um, it, you already got socialism in this country to a degree. Uh, to what degree you have it, eh, but it's already here. Don't don't tell me we got one election more to get it right because that's what you said four years ago and four years before that and four years before that, and I'm kind of done with telling people that. I'm done with telling people you got to go vote, and here's I'm going to tell you I'm going to go vote. And the reason I'm going to go vote is that this is a party that believes in ritual child sacrifice. It is the sacrament of the Democratic Party at this point, and you can hate me for saying it that way, but that's exactly it. Uh, abortion has become a sacrament of the Democratic Party. On top of that, the, the willful hostility to charter schools and kids, particularly minority children in poor communities getting good educations in charter schools, the Democrats want to get rid of that. I, I'm opposed to them doing it, so I'll go vote. But I think that the two things that should resonate and that the GOP should focus on with Joe Biden. If I were a Republican strategist, these are the two things I would focus on. One, his line that no miracle is coming to save us. I think you can turn that around on him, particularly with the rush to a vaccine. It looks like there is a vaccine that is going to be deployed towards the end of the year. I think the president can focus on that. But the other thing is he said when he got to Washington in 1973, That was before I was born. He's been in Washington since 1973. A man who's been a creature of Washington since 1973 probably doesn't have the answers to get us moving ahead. Why should we go backward to go forward? There is a message for the GOP in that regard that Joe Biden has been in Washington since 1973. Spending has gone up. The national debt has been made worse. Uh, our, our, our capabilities in the world have uh, seemed to crater. China is emboldened. Russia is emboldened. They mocked Republicans for pointing out Russia was emboldened just eight years ago. Tying Joe Biden to the swamp actually, I think, is probably a good idea, given the contempt most Americans have for Washington, D.C. He's been there since 1973. My older sister was born in 1973. He's been there since before she was born. That's insanity 
that a man who's been in Washington that long should go now be president of the United States. Uh, if I were a Republican, I would be making the case that you cannot reward someone who has essentially lived in Washington, D.C. since 1973, uh, that Joe Biden claims to be from Delaware. He is from Washington, D.C., and we should not be rewarding the swamp. I would be all over that message if I were a Republican, that and, and that he thinks no miracle is coming to save us. You know what? The miracle's already here. We are the miracle, and Donald Trump should point that out. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is, what is our phone number? 404-877-97-ERIC-877-973-7425. I got to acknowledge my my brain just feels somewhat broken this morning. Um, I I watched that thing. I I watched the whole week. And you know, the Republican convention is next week. I watched that thing. I I sat on my front porch till after midnight last night. I watched the speech. I watched the aftermath of the speech. They didn't do a balloon drop. They did fireworks in a parking lot. That's fine. I miss the balloon drops. You want the crowds and the balloon drops and the stupid hats and and, and stuff like that. Uh, we didn't get any of that, but um, it, it was it was a fine speech. But it really was. It wound up being a Zoom call. You had Cory Booker narrating a, a an awkward Zoom call with the other Democratic candidates on how much they love Joe Biden, uh, despite all the nasty stuff they said on the campaign trail. And, and you had members of the media getting thigh sweats listening to it. It's just the, the whole thing was gross. There was one shining moment last night. Let, let me let me make sure I can, I can get all of my soundboard wired here to be able to do this myself because I didn't ask Charlie to get this, but I bookmarked it. Played. There, there was one, I thought it was a sweet moment, and I, I'm horrified by the cynicism of some of you who just thought they were using kids. Of course they were using kids. Both sides do it. Shut up. My family often says when the world feels better before before talking about something normal, like going to the movies, we all want the world to feel better. We need the world to feel better. I'm just a regular kid, and in a short amount of time, Joe Biden made me more confident about something that's bothered me my whole life. Joe Biden cared. Imagine what he could do for all of us. Kids like me are counting on you to elect someone we can all look up to. Someone who cares. Someone who will make our country and the world feel better. We're counting on you to elect Joe Biden. That's Braden Harrington, 13 years old. He stutters. He has a bad speech impediment through stuttering. Uh, and and yeah, um, I, 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 I gotta I, I gotta tell you, um, there I saw a lot of people say, no, this is cynicism. It, it, both parties trot out the kids. They all trot out the kids. Um, here's the thing. I, I I think most people who have a heart were touched by this. Whether whether you're going to be persuaded to vote for Joe Biden or not, uh, Braden Harrington stood before the world, stuttering, stammering through that. Uh, Joe Biden, when he was a kid, had a bad speech impediment. I now this one affects me just full disclosure because when I was a kid, I had a a I stuttered. I, in fact, sometimes you can still hear when I get tired on the radio, you can hear it. Um, 
And it, it, like this morning, I'm I'm tired this morning, y'all. Y'all, I was I was up late watching this stuff last day. One day I'm going to be rich and I'm going to have interns to watch it for me and tell me what to think. Right now, I got to think for myself. <laughs> but it was it was a touching moment with that kid, and and it it really was a moment. It resonated on a bipartisan level that uh, the, the the kid was able to do what he did and to stand there and make a pitch for Joe Biden. And I'm just I got to say I stuttered as a kid. And I do five hours of talk radio a day now. It's, it's something you can overcome. Joe Biden can run for president of the United States. He can be in Washington since 1973. How do you reward someone who's been in Washington that long with the presidency? I just I just don't think you can do that. Good gracious, the Republicans need to seize on that. One of the things that uh, happened uh, in the last few months, of course, were the, the protests that then formed riots, the, the ongoing riots. Uh, related to what happened with George Floyd. And one of the people who died uh, was a guy named Dave Patrick Underwood. He was an African-American officer in the Department of Homeland Security's Federal Protective Service. He was gunned down in Oakland, California, protecting the federal courthouse there. It appears at this point uh, that it was one of the, um, a, a white nationalist protester who killed him, uh, and the the media surprisingly didn't play that up because uh, it happened in the same course as the Antifa riots and protests and burning of buildings, and that would have given an opportunity for a lot of us to point out uh, what was actually going on. It was was beyond that. Uh, Violence and destruction in the streets, Antifa on on the left. You've got some of the white nationalists out in California who also did some of the violence. It's just I've been shocked by the media's willingness to turn a blind eye to so much of it and what is going to Congress going to do about it. Uh, well, one of the people who wants to do something about it is Congressman uh, Jody Arrington from Texas, uh, who is joining me by phone. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning, Eric. God bless uh, Atlanta and the great U.S. of A., and it's great to be with you, buddy. Thank you very much. So yeah, tell me about the legislation you want to introduce uh, dealing with all the rioting. Sure. Uh, You know, we all have to do uh, what we can and within our purview of responsibility. And certainly there's a role for the federal government, uh, despite what the Democrats say. We have to protect our federal taxpayer uh, property. We have to protect the federal personnel, including federal law enforcement. Um, There are rioting statutes at the state. Uh, There are statutes at the uh, local level for assault and assaulting police officers. We just took the federal statutes on those issues to hold people accountable and to do everything we can to prevent assaulting law enforcement and rioting and citing violence and destruction of property. And we increased the penalty. And we just said, you know, send a message. We condemn this. Uh, We will not tolerate it. You know, you get what what you tolerate, Eric. And these local leaders are letting these mobs run roughshod over law-abiding citizens. And, and, and I'm going to do what, what I can, and I'm going to rally my colleagues in Congress to support what this president's doing to engage and to, and to protect our law-abiding citizens and our, our great American cities. I, I got to ask, um, I, 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 how do I ask the question? Because it's, it, 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 it's an obvious setup to a degree, but I, let me just give you my observation. I am surprised after we're now on 89 days of protest and rioting in Portland, Oregon, uh, how willful the media is 
in claiming it's not violent and it's it's not ongoing. Uh, and yet it, it is ongoing and it is violent across the country from Chicago to Portland, Oregon, and, and comes as they want to defund police. It is absolutely unmitigated chaos, violence, and domestic terrorism. And it is from coast to coast. It's in every state. The larger cities, obviously, are absolutely being ripped apart by these and at these these anarchists um, uh, and these criminals. And so the, you're right. I mean, the media and, and the Democrats, but I'm going to say even Republicans aren't speaking out, condemning this enough and urging for order and justice and tranquility. All these things are written in the preamble of the Constitution. And meanwhile, Eric, you know, it's like that, that, that verse in Isaiah, woe to the nation who calls evil good and good evil. We are demonizing the police, defunding them. We are, uh, we are prosec- the rogue prosecutors are going after not the murderers, uh, of these police officers and law-abiding citizens, but people who are actually exercising their Second Amendment right as the last defense to protect themselves and their property. So it's upside down. We've got to speak out, and that's that's really the, the, the motivation here behind the David Dorn Act and the Patrick Underwood Law Enforcement Protection Act. Now, I, I've, I, you know, you're the perfect person to talk to about this, uh, be, being you and, and being from Texas. I, I've been trying to explain to my listeners that uh, when I say, for example, euphemistically, as a lot of a lot of uh, conservatives do, that the Democrats want to make a grab for your guns, that they've actually got a fairly organized playbook that you can see from uh, listening to, to the Democrats and and reading the legislation they're introducing from making it harder for gun manufacturers to do business with banks to uh, raising taxes and and license fees for guns and stuff. Um, It's almost like they can't personally take the gun out of your hand or out of your home, but they want to drive up the cost so much to make it almost impossible for homeowners uh, and and law-abiding citizens to be able to protect themselves, let alone for gun manufacturers to be able to do business. That is absolutely right. And remember, uh, this Politics is religion for the left. Government is God. The end justifies the means, meaning if they can't get it through the good old-fashioned American democratic way, through, through the will of the people in the forum of the United States Congress, the first branch, the legislative branch, well, Kamala Harris said if in 100 days that doesn't happen, she'll regulate it by executive order and believe what she says she will do it. And listen, gun sales, new gun owners are up by a hundred percent. Two and a half million firearms have been purchased by people for the first time. Forty percent of the largest growing demographic, females, second African-Americans. People are afraid because they have seen the abdication of responsibility, the first and most important job of the government at the local level. Um, and and now there's now they're not just scared of the mob. They're scared of rogue po- prosecutors charging them with felony crimes like the McCloskey's in right. St. Louis. Yeah. It, you know, I, I got to say, I, I kind of rolled my eyes at, at, at those two on the front lawn. It, it was their right to do it. It's just the, the optics of it. But then then you have the the local prosecutor harass them, uh, charge them with crimes, come into their home, take their guns away. Uh, I, I'm scratching my head saying, what what part of the Second Amendment do you people not understand? And it seems like there's a lot of the Second Amendment the Democrats still don't understand. 
<laughs> they don't. It's, um, you know, we're not talking about just some uh, rewriting of a regulation. We're talking about a bill of right, a fundamental uh, constitutionally protected right. And uh, people are, are, you know, we have a vice presidential uh, uh, candidate that will more than likely be the president if Biden were elected, saying, I'm coming for for the Second Amendment. And people are placating to the anti-gun lobby. And the founders, that wasn't just for hunting and sportsmanship. It, it wasn't even just for self-protection. Uh, it was the last defense for government tyranny and mob tyranny. So I think it's appropriate we're talking about it in light of uh, the mob violence going on in, in cities across the country. Well, Congressman, let, let me ask you one last question here. Uh, on the, the Underwood legislation that, that you're preparing on, on the riots, what can uh, the average listener, they're listening somewhere in the country right now on our live stream or here in Georgia, what what should they be doing to, to contact their member of Congress on the legislation? Well, thank you uh, for that opportunity. Absolutely. Well, just it's real easy to remember because they're two heroes in uniform, one protected uh, for private property. That was David Dorn out of St. Louis. So the David Dorn Act, and that's the anti-rioting statutes. And then you've got the Patrick Underwood, who is the man in uniform protecting our taxpayer federal properties uh, who lost his life in Oakland. So just remember Patrick Underwood and David Dorn. We also have a resolution, basically just a sense of Congress condemning this, urging to restore justice, and also condemning that this is, in fact, domestic terrorism. Please talk to your members of Congress. Tell them to sign on to this legislation. Let's get it on the floor. Let's debate it, and let's at least send the message to our country that people People actually care about what's happening out here. We're not dismissing it as some on the left as just, quote, peaceful protest and folks who are just a little outraged. Look, I appreciate it. And thank you very much for stopping by and, and best of luck to you on this. And, and hopefully people will listen and take action. And uh, good luck getting it past Nancy Pelosi. But I appreciate the effort. Eric, thanks so much, man. Blessings to you and your listeners. You too. Take care. Jody Arrington, Congressman from Texas, the David Dorn Act and the Patrick Underwood Act uh, to protect citizens who protect their private property and uh, uh, increase protections against rioters and, and violence. Uh, I, I want to, with the end of the interview, I, I want to go on and take a commercial time out here. I'll be back in a couple of minutes. There are two stories that are developing that are straight out of Animal Farm, and and I, I want to talk to you about those. So you guys remember Animal Farm? Everybody, I think, has had to read Animal Farm, where the the, the pigs essentially that control the farm. It, it's a, a an allegory of communism, and in the end, uh, in the name of equality and equal treatment and the like, uh, the 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 communist oligarch pigs. Uh, become just like the farmers they were rebelling against and and people the, the other pigs still live in servitude and and you can cry out for equality and the like but they they don't really do it it's just it, it, the whole thing shows exposes how in in all the people who advocate for communism tend to argue it's never been done correctly there are two stories that highlight the hypocrisy of the left when it comes to equality they want everyone to be equal uh, but some will be more equal than others. First of all, there's the story of the mayor of Chicago, Lori Lightfoot. 
Mayor Lori Lightfoot, this is from the Chicago Tribune, defended the Chicago Police Department's ban on protesters being able to demonstrate on the block where she lives, telling reporters Thursday that she and her family at times require heightened security because of the threats she receives daily. Lightfoot refused to elaborate on the specific threats, but said she receives them daily against herself, her wife, and her home. Comparisons to how the police department has protected previous mayor's homes, such as Rahm Emanuel's Ravenwood residence, are unfair because this is a different time like no other. Lightfoot and Chicago Police Superintendent David Brown were asked at an unrelated news conference about a Tribune report noting police have banned protesters from demonstrating on her block in the Logan Square neighborhood, ordering officers to arrest anyone who refuses to leave. So in Chicago, you can protest anywhere. The mayor wants you to be able to protest anywhere in Chicago except on her city block. You're not allowed to go there. And then there's Gavin Newsom. Gavin Newsom wanted employees in California, state employees in California, in the executive branch, were all to take pay cuts, every single one of them. And and Newsom said he's going to take the pay cut too. Well, an Open Records Act request reveals that Gavin Newsom never actually took his own pay cut. Everybody else took pay cuts. Newsom said he was going to take a pay cut, but he didn't. They say it was a technical issue. Technical issue, right. We see this time and again with the left where they demand certain standards, like, for example, the environmental hypocrites on the left who demand uh, that you no longer fly and you no longer live your lifestyle, and they get on private jets to go around the world and and have multiple houses uh, from which they can live to tell you that you're not supposed to live their life. There are a whole lot of people who want to preach and not practice. And we find this particularly problematic on the left because on the left, you know, I find it problematic on the left because the left preaches equality and all that. Uh, the, the right is individual choice in action. If you want a giant, I want a giant, I want a beach house, I want a lake house, and I want access to a private plane. Those are my goals in life. Simple things, simple things. The left, however, thinks that that would be a bad carbon footprint and, and you shouldn't have that. And yet they have these, these mega mansions. Now there are a few of them like Daryl, what is it? Um, um, What's her name? Um, no, I can't think of her name. Uh, the, the, the actress, the, the, the hippie. Oh, gosh. Um, who am I thinking of, y'all? Um, somebody's going to text me here who's watching it. Uh, the, 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 was the movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Daryl Hannah. Yeah, that is her name. Uh, Daryl Hannah. She, so she's become super environmentalist. She has a, a windmill at her house. She generates her own electricity. She recycles everything. She, her, her water is like separated into gray water. She's got the money to live that lifestyle, to have a, a zero carbon footprint. And God bless her for doing this. She doesn't fly anymore. She lives at home, all the like. Um, practice what you preach. Meanwhile, Leonardo DiCaprio takes private jets around the world telling you that the world is going to end. And, and Al Gore has these massive homes. There's a level of hypocrisy on the left, the media doesn't like to play up. They're much more interested in hypocritical Christians. Of course, we're all sinners, so we're all hypocrites. But on the left, you, you can you we want equality, we want all these things, and yet you yourself don't want to practice it. Like Alexandria Casio Cortez, remember the, the the great outrage. She she's out there telling people you got to give up hamburgers, you need to explore vegetarianism, and then she's caught on tape. Uh, eating a hamburger after telling people they need to become vegetarians or give up their their cows and whatnot, 
And, oh, I, I never said you need to completely give it up. Uh, you know, let's just be honest here. As much as the left proclaims that uh, communism has never been done right, for some reason, every time it is done, uh, we develop these double standards where if you if you point out the double standard, you get shot. I, I had this conversation yesterday with a friend who who he's troubled by the rise of authoritarianism in this country. And he's not like the left pointing to Donald Trump. He's pointing to the left that they can march in the streets. There, there's video footage from Portland, Oregon last night where they were marching down the streets at two o'clock in the morning, shining spotlights into people's houses, uh, chanting MFers wake up. And the media doesn't cover that sort of stuff. Remember, the, the media told you that everything in Portland was was perfectly calm until Donald Trump got there. And when the federal authorities left, they, they began to burn down the city again. And he was pointing out, you know, if for all the, the, the belly aching on the left that Donald Trump is some sort of authoritarian, uh, you have a media out there that won't tell the truth about what's going on. And you have left-wing protesters who want to silence you into submission. And more and more, they are concluding that our country, our republic is ir- irredeemably built on racism and we need a new start. You can see some of those people thinking that they're going to have to grab hold of power and never let it go. And the only way to not do that is is to get rid of the Constitution. Concurrently, for those of you not along with me, there is a growing strain of people on the right thinking we can never allow the left to get back power uh, or else. Well, there's no permanence in American politics. And so the only way to make your permanent hold on power permanent is to get rid of the constitutional structure we have in place. There are a lot of people on both sides now flirting with authoritarianism. But you only get the mentions of it on the right from the media. You you don't actually get the focus on people on the left who are literally marching in streets right now, burning buildings down, harassing residents. You've got the situation, where was it, Lexington, Kentucky, where Black Lives Matter activists were shaking down local businesses. And the local government was turning a blind eye to it because they they support Black Lives Matter. You had Black Lives Matter uh, organizations saying, if you don't put these signs in your business in support of us and agree to hire a certain percentage of black employees and and contract with a certain percentage of black businesses, uh, you might have violence done to your business. And the media doesn't want to want to cover that. It's like the, the little boy in North Carolina who was gunned down by his neighbor. The little boy was white. The neighbor was black. The neighbor blew off the little boy's head in front of his family. If it had been a little black boy and a white neighbor, it would be a national news story. And you know it. You can deny it all you want, but you know deep down that's true. But it's not helpful to narratives on race relations in this country for there to be a national story about a little white boy being gunned down, shot in the head by a black neighbor. It doesn't help the narrative, and so the media won't tell you about it. And and that is part of the problem here. The media in this country is of the left, is sympathetic to the claims of the left, and oblivious to the authoritarian tendencies of the left. Historically in the world... It is secular 
leftists who kill the most people with the rise of totalitarian regimes. And yes, by the way, the Nazis were not the far-right party that your historians from the left would have you believe. They were national socialists. They were kissing cousins of the communists. They supported universal health care, imposed vegetarianism, universal school and education, and were opposed to Christian indoctrination. They were the kissing cousins of the communists. They are secular, atheistic ideologies from the left, whether it is uh, the communists of China or North Korea or Cuba or the Soviet Union or the Nazis of Germany. The only reason the Nazis of Germany are considered a right-wing party are because so many academics are on the left and the Nazis lost the war. Uh, they're nothing like the communists. No, the communists, the anti-fascist communists, no. They were bad. The Nazis were socialists. Everything was in service to the state. The communists were their kissing cousins. The communists have killed millions of people. The secular left-wing ideologies grow authoritarian, totalitarianism around the world, and the media wants to tell you about some right-wing dude who's bad. You know what? There are bad people on the right, but let's not pretend they don't happen on the left. And the media can't tell you the full story. They got to tell you a narrative that makes the left look good, and these people need to be exposed. You may not like me pointing it out, but it's the truth. Computer systems and cars are the new normal from electronically controlled transmissions to touchscreen displays to dozens of sensors to your, your car play, your Android play, whatever. You, you got all this stuff, but you can't fix any of those new features yourself. So when something breaks, it can cost a fortune. And now is not the time for expensive repairs. You need CarShield. CarShield has affordable protection plans that can save you thousands for covered repair, including computers, GPS, electronics, and the like. The people at CarShield understand payment flexibility is an absolute must. Monthly payments can be customized to your needs with rates as low as $99 a month. There's no long-term contract or commitments. CarShield gives you options others won't. You get to choose your favorite mechanic or dealership to do the work. CarShield takes care of the rest. They offer complimentary 24-7 roadside assistance. They offer rental car when yours is being fixed. CarShield has helped over a million customers. So drive with confidence knowing you've got coverage from America's number one auto protection company for as low as $99 a month. You can protect yourself from surprises. You can save thousands for a covered repair. Call 800-CAR-6000. 800-CAR-6000. Mention code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, or visit carshield.com and use code ERIC. You save 10%. That's carshield.com, code ERIC, a deductible man. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show all across the state of Georgia and beyond. You can reach out if you want, uh, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Um, Hang on a second. I, I gotta I gotta I gotta do something. Um da -da -da -da. Um Yep, we wanna do this. Um no I don't. I, I mentioned the Robin Hood app yesterday and and several of you wanted to ask questions about it. Let let me see if I can do this real quick. Um if you weren't here yesterday, one one of my concerns is the algorithmic-based inducement now these days to get people, particularly millennials and Gen Z, instead of planning uh, long-term to actually get them to invest almost as day traders. 
and there is a there's a uh, an an app now called Robinhood. And one of the things that Robinhood does is it allows you to um, to essentially become a day trader uh, very easily at at very low cost, and it induces you through a series of algorithms to try as much as you as as much as they'll allow you to to try to get you to embrace risky trade deals. Uh, you can see this for yourself. I I want you to be able to, some of you asked me about the app and, and how to get it. You know, you can get it on the a- Apple store. I am trying very hard as I talk to you right now, Charlie's going to get annoyed with me to set up a data link for you just so you can see it. Um, it it's actually very interesting to, to consider though, What's going on with the app? And the main reason that I, I say that is because we are increasingly right now, whether we are, uh, okay, and I've got it. If you text the word data to 33777, you can see it. We are increasingly a society that is being programmed by a computer algorithm. And what I mean by this is your shopping purchases, when you go online, so for example, um, I have been looking I got a, a buddy of mine wants me to go up to uh, the Clarksville area and go fly fishing with him. I have never been fly fishing. And I have had a bunch of people, including the former vice president of the United States, uh, Dick Cheney and, and Tucker Carlson as well, uh, tell me that I should go fly fishing. And so I've been I've been talking with him about it. We've been texting back and forth about it. He wants me to come up there. I, I don't know anything about it. We got to find time to be able to do it and all the like. Uh, but when I go on Facebook now, I, I see ads for Free Fly Apparel, which is a fishing gear company. I, I and and just clothing for going fishing and stuff. Uh, cool weather, long sleeve clothing, so you don't get sunburned and the like. I see it all the time now. I see uh, ads on Facebook. I'm, I'm getting on my Facebook page right now. There, there's a free fly apparel ad and there's an Orvis ad, um, which I find interesting. There's also an ad for like cool underwear. Okay, yep, get, getting some underwear ads. And then, so I've been talking about on here, uh, I like up the apparel from a, there's a clothing line. If you're a guy, if you're a woman and you want to go do uh, Lululemon, uh, go for it. Uh, if you're a guy, I have found I, I got some of the Lululemon exercise stuff when I first started going to CrossFit it, and the the liner and the shorts pills up, and and I just I don't like it. It gets holes in it too quick. There's a company called Roan R H O N E. I have yet to get a a bad clothing from this company. Uh, it is it is just solid stuff. Roan R H O N E. And and as a result of me having written about it and recommended it to people. I now see, uh, when I go on Facebook, I see advertisements for other athletic short companies. Let's see, there's there's one here for uh, 10,000. Um, oh, there's another free fly apparel. It, it, the only reason I bring this up, you're like, well, what on earth is this guy doing? We are being systematically figured out through algorithm and then catered to by algorithm, both on what we want to find online. There was a great experiment the other day that if you follow a bunch of right-wing sites on YouTube, you're going to uh, be encouraged to find increasingly further to the right sites on YouTube. 
Uh, there, And if you're on the left, you're going to find increasingly further left-wing things on YouTube. They're going to pull you down the rabbit holes in either direction. And other companies are figuring out the algorithm serves other purposes. So you, you've got advertisers now who use the algorithm. Uh, the advertisers use the algorithm in such a way that they induce you to make purchases or they find uh, ads they want to highlight for you. And now you've got apps like Robinhood, where when you get into Robinhood, if you sign up for Robinhood, they give you free stock. You, you, get, you, you have the opportunity to get a stock at Apple or Facebook or Disney, but really typically what happens is you get stock in a, in a company that's worth a dollar when you sign up, but you get stock. And then when you refer friends to it, you get stock. So, for example, if you text data to 33777, uh, you'll get the Georgia Department of Health data that I always do. Um, I'm going to do it for you. And then you, you text the word data, and I'm going to send you back a link. And the very top link is going to go to the Robinhood app. If you're interested in Robinhood, uh, you'll be able to go to the Robinhood app and, and get it done. Oh, except, look, it's not working. Um, I, I guess we're going to have to figure that out. In, in any event... Um, when you download the app, you get stock. If you if you use my referral code, guess what? You get stock from my referral code. And it's not bad. It's not wrong. But here's what happens. You get into it, and suddenly it starts suggesting to you that you need to buy more stock. And it starts suggesting to you that you need to keep up with your stock on a daily basis. And it starts suggesting to you that you need to engage in more trading. And it starts suggesting to you that you need to diversify into Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. And it starts suggesting to you that it's not enough to diversify into cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. It's that the price has gone up three cents. You need to act now because clearly there's a surge. So please get in here and, and do some more. And on and on it goes. And the problem with doing that is particularly for people who are strapped for cash and they're, they're worried about the future they can get addicted to it. The algorithms are always designed for you to buy and engage. Now, here's the thing. I, 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 just, I just did this. If you text data to 33777, you can see it for yourself. It, 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 and listen, if, if you want to buy and trade stocks on a daily basis, go for it. Just full disclosure, I, I'm going to get a, get a referral. If you use my link, you're going to get me stock, but you'll get stock too. And I, I raised the issue not to get me stock on Robinhood. It, it, it's for this reason. And this is somewhat meandering because I realize I'm trying to do this while I'm talking and, and I'm, my producer's going to be mad at me for doing it. But it's to make a larger point here. Everything that you do on a daily basis now, there is an algorithm that is watching you and learning your behavior. And that algorithm is inducing you to buy certain things engage in certain behaviors, follow certain people on social media. It's inducing you to buy. There's nothing wrong with an algorithm from a tech company that's trying to improve your life, frankly. Uh, so I buy shorts from this company, Roan, I was telling you about. I, I buy shorts from Roan, R-H-O-N-E. 
not and there's no kickback or commission for me in telling you this. I just I genuinely like the clothing. I discovered them through an Instagram ad. And I I've tried uh gym shorts since I got into CrossFit. I went with Lululemon. I, I thought that the they they wear out too fast. I didn't like them. I went with just the standard stuff you can get from Target. Didn't like it. Wore out too fast. I love I love this clothing. They've got pants. They got shirts. Uh, they've got shorts. They got underwear. I like them. Uh, they, I I tend in fact I'm wearing them right now. Uh, wearing that brand. And I wouldn't have discovered it, but for the algorithm realizing, oh, this guy is interested in men's clothing and particularly in, in gear related to going to the gym. Let, let's show him ads for all these companies. I've seen the Viore stuff. I've seen the 10,000 stuff. I, I settled on Roan. I love, love them. So the algorithm can improve your life. It, it can redirect you to better decisions, but it can also develop in certain people in more people than you might think, including yourself, addictive tendencies. And that gets me back to this Robin Hood app. I was reading it. And the only reason I'm talking about this really, just so you know, is I was reading an article, I think it was in the Wall Street Journal two weeks ago, about how Robin Hood has just exploded. And if you haven't heard of it, and the only reason I actually heard of Robin Hood is my buddy Philip, who works for me, was talking about having the app a couple of months ago. He was mentioning it. And I was like, oh, I got a TD Ameritrade account. But, you know, occasionally I may just like to buy cheap stock in an account uh, and and keep up with it. And what I've noticed is I get texts on a daily basis or push messages on a daily basis. Uh, this stock you own, like, for example, I own a, a couple of shares of GE. GE has gone up 30 cents. You need to look into this. What's going on? GE's earnings are coming out. The consensus is it's not going to meet expectations. What do you do? do? Do you need to sell? GE's going down now. Get into the app. Get into the app. And, and it is, it's designed to make me spend money with the app. And what am I doing with spending the money? Essentially gambling. Day trading is essentially gambling. You're not investing for the long haul. And that gets me to the ultimate point. Algorithms are not per se bad. In fact, I would argue our lives have been improved by the Facebook and Google algorithms. And I know it's heretical to say that these days on all sides, but I have found small manufacturers of goods and services that I genuinely love, that I think are well done, that I think could never have made it before the algorithm because the algorithm connects them to people who can become a loyal customer base. So I can buy a, a cast iron skillet from a mom and pop shop in, in Portland, Oregon that I would have never known existed. I could buy a handmade meat cleaver from a little creative shop in Virginia that I did last week and it's fantastic. I can buy my gym shorts that I like. The world has been made a better place because these algorithms now do a very good job of curating things I'm actually interested in and providing them to me and to others like me in a way that uh, I, I think is good. But it also can feed addictive tendencies. And I know, for example, with me, uh, in my family, uh, the, the, there are people in my family who have had addictive tendencies. And I try always to be careful about that sort of stuff when dealing with drugs and alcohol and things like that and, and talk to my kids about it. But there are other people who have addictive tendencies in other ways, and this is where the algorithm becomes bad. And I can see this now growing in, a, in Gen Z and millennials 
who are using things like the Robinhood app and don't realize that it is feeding an algorithm what they do. And it's analyzing who they are. And it's trying to find ways to induce them to use the app more. Well, how do you use it more? You use it more by trading more, by spending more time on the app. And we've got a we got a group of kids now in the country. I shouldn't say group of kids. We're, we're talking young adults. But they are not saving for the future. Part of the reason they're not saving for the future is because they've gone through an economic downturn in 2008, 2009, and a recovery, and then a crash, and now a rebound, and, and a crash, and a rebound again with the virus. And they're kind of losing hope in the free market, and they're kind of losing hope in their future. And they're trying to make a buck as quick as possible. And these sorts of things feed into that. And so they're not planning for the long term. Uh, and you've got to, if you're, if you are a 20 or 30 something, you need to figure out how to start investing for the long term, not just for the short term. And you need to be careful of these new financial services that are coming out that are algorithmic, algorithmically based, designed to keep you engaged in trading. If you're a parent of someone who's going off to college, you need to be aware that this stuff is existing. It exists out there right now. And they are inducing your kids to make poor decisions, poor financial decisions, as opposed to building wealth for the long term. Now, let me tell you, my wife and I, and, and they're, they're an advertiser, and I don't have to do a live read for Chris because that we play the Dynamic Money ad, uh, but get yourself a group like Dynamic Money. There are plenty of fee-only services out there that will help you plan for retirement. Uh, you, you probably need to talk to someone. I've got a buddy of mine, John Lindvig, uh, who does all of my stock purchases for me. I don't do them. He invests. I, I, I send, in fact, I got to get back to sending him a little bit of money every month, and he invests it for me, and, and he does it because I don't have time to pay attention to this stuff. So I rely on someone. Could I make more money if I did it myself? No, because I would spend so much time trying to figure it out, this show would suffer, or I would spend so much time on the show that that would suffer. So I outsource to someone else. Uh, I try not to let the algorithm shape uh, my investment decisions. And I just, I, I raise the red flag here not to be a broken record on this stuff, but I'm reading more and more stories of people my age and younger who are starting to make bad investment decisions because they're not doing research. They're relying on algorithms and the algorithms are not designed for you to make the best decision. The algorithms are designed to induce you to spend money. And when you're spending your money, you're not making good decisions. And there's more of this that's coming out. And here, here's my prediction. And this is why I, I spend so much time on this. This is going to become a political issue. The use of the algorithm to induce you into behavior is going to become a political issue. You can hear about it in, in what Josh Hawley talks about. You can hear about it in stuff Tom Cotton talks about. You can hear about it in stuff Elizabeth Warren talks about it. Uh, you can hear it from, from Kamala Harris even and Bernie Sanders. Uh, what to do with the algorithms inducing you to spend your money, particularly when we are uh, enabling an entire generation of Americans to no longer accumulate long-term wealth because they're gambling on, on apps like Robinhood and the like. It's it's something to be mindful of. It's going to become the next hot-button political issue, I'm pretty sure. Friends, I, I'm I'm afraid um, that, well, I'm not really afraid. I'm, I'm happy to announce that I, I think this may be the last show that I do. I, I just I, I just received this 
Um, this is from Eunice Sanchez. In, in the spirit of faith, solidarity, humanity, and common sense appeal to your wisdom and kindness as a human of this planet, and the request friendship sustains me if you consider setting up a foundation for humanitarian work with the $6.650 million inherited from my late husband who was an industrialist. I decided to donate these funds because I have no child and my days are numbered according to my physician who always examines my health because I was diagnosed with serious lung and breast cancer and will be going for my third surgical operation next week. I want you to use these funds nationally and internationally and personally to people without hope against which we must not be careless. I am Mrs. Eunice Sanchez, age 62 and childless, always cheerful with a desire to do good and give those who need help. The principles which I rely in life are faith, humanity, solidarity, respect, and trust. Please always put me in your daily prayer so that God will grant more days to me leaving and confirm these funds into your hand, 6.650 million American United States dollars. Hoping to hearing from you soonest with your information that I will submit to the bank for the transfer of this money to your bank account and your delays in replying to this message will create an avenue of searching for another person that will understand the nature of my situation in other to handle this and other to handle in other to handle this donation funds gloriously to the kingdom of God. I am urgently expecting your kind acceptance reply in this email address for more details on the 6.650 million American United States dollars I intend to convey to you. Remain blessed with your family, Ms. Eunice Sanchez. I I, I guess I can retire now. Someone, <laughs> just, I, I just got this email. Uh, do, does this ever does this ever work? Maybe this is the algorithm program for me to reply back. Just just the curious nature of reply. has anyone ever? I guess you know there are stories of people handing over there, but I think you would want a, a better worded email from someone. Uh, wow, the 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 scammers. I I don't know. This woman doesn't say where she is. Probably not Nigeria with a name like Sanchez. I have no idea. I, I don't know. I, I I will tell you this. I, I want to talk a little more about the Steve Bannon stuff because uh, the number of people have emailed me, uh, just, the, the FBI is targeting conservatives. Where are they? Anti- yeah, I, I wish we had more grifters on the right arrested, frankly. Uh, we need more indictments, not less. The number of people who are being scammed out of their money and, and beyond uh, Eunice Sanchez, uh, God bless her in her surgery. We should all pray for her and her, her uh, third surgery she's going to have. But there are so many people who are being scammed on the right, senior citizens who are coughing up money for causes and they're getting ripped off. Where did all the grifters come? They've always been there is, is the answer, but we need to we need to have a conversation about this. But when we come back, though, uh, Ted Budd, the congressman from North Carolina, is going to join me to talk a little bit more about the chaos at the Democratic National Convention that we saw this week. Uh, gracious, the these people. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I have a guest is, well, you know, we get we get congressmen all the time who are lawyers or, or doctors. My next guest is a congressman, and you know what? He owns a gun store. Why? Because he's awesome. Congressman Ted Budd, member of the Freedom Caucus from North Carolina. How are you? Eric, that is the best introduction that I've ever had. Thank you. Uh, I, I, listen, I'm glad. glad I, I, with you. 
I, I, I don't, I mean, I could talk to lawyers and doctors all day. I'm actually glad to have you on the phone because I've been talking all week about the Democrats starting their whole convention with the let's take away everybody's guns. So you're the perfect guest to talk to. They are the best salesmen in the last decade. So grateful for them in some ways. Uh, so, you, you know, know, actually, it, it, I, I don't want to be flippant on this, but seriously, I, I've, I've been into several gun stores of late. I'm, I'm doing a, a gun class in December and I, I need to find ammo. And I really am shocked by the lack of inventory in stores that I go to that usually just are, are filled up and you can't keep them in the store these days. Well, you know, look, it's, this is a real problem. And the worse the Democrats get, the better that industry does. But you've got to be careful. You know, it's like uh, running an engine at, at, in the yellow and into the red line. Uh, you, you don't want to sell things because of crisis. You want to sell it to defend the Second Amendment to protect the freedoms of our country and to protect the personal safety. What people are doing is they're seeing that if the left really wants to defund the police, then it's up to them. Uh, rather than having that thin blue line out there, which we love and we want to uh, protect, and because they protect us, then we've got to be our own blue line. And, and you know, we, we really don't want to get to that position. So, yes, we're there. We want to always be there day in, day out. And our motto, look, in our business, my business is, uh, helping our community responsibly enjoy firearms. And one of the things I wanted, you know, to your listeners, I want to say, Eric, is I thought when I bought this 10 years ago, and by the way, I bought this 10 years ago for a police department to be the place where they can go and train. And then they encouraged me to open up to the public. But I thought it'd be a guy, like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a white guy in my late 40s. I thought it would be people that were, you know, kind of like me. Boy, was I surprised. I mean, it is one of the most diverse diverse customer populations that I've ever seen. Uh, we've got retired teachers, old, young, white, black, male, female, Hispanic, Asian. Everybody is interested. And I'm not even talking in crisis times. I'm talking in normal times. Mm -hmm. And so it's been very encouraging to break down the stereotypes of who wants to stand up for the Second Amendment in this country. And it's been real eye-opener to me over the last decade. And that's long before I was ever in politics. Well, and I'm I'm actually really surprised to to read that in I think May, June, and July, uh, it was uh, black families were the number one gun purchasers in the country in all three months. Uh, first time uh, gun owners, black families, and you've got the Democrats out there even on stage at the Democratic convention still saying we we want to defund police, and ultimately what happens is it reduces the availability of police to protect those people in their communities. Absolutely. I mean, look, we're in league with the police. It's not in opposition to the police, as the Democrats would have you believe. And these are these are, uh, you know, maybe they're single moms, maybe they're uh, single dads in a uh, maybe a predominantly uh, a minority neighborhood. And they said, look, this is tough and we want to defend ourselves and we want to be out there for them. We think they're preventing uh, crime just by being their own line of defense. And this is what our country allows us to do. We realize that the Second Amendment is not primarily for self-defense. It's primarily to prevent tyranny. The Democrats will have none of that conversation. But we're trying to prevent the very things that they're encouraging and, and uh, they're promoting in their DNC platform. So, uh, again, we got to remember the ultimate constitutional reasons that uh, the Second Amendment exists. But, yes, it is also there you know, for hunting, of course, and for self-defense. But it's primarily to protect against tyranny. You mentioned the, the, the DNC platform. So I, I, I've been kind of amazed this week on how shallow 
they have been with policy. Even Joe Biden's speech last night, light versus darkness sort of angle as opposed to here's what I'm going to do for you. Uh, but there were there were a couple of things that I thought they put into prime time that were notable. Uh, the Second Amendment was one. Uh, raising taxes to fight climate change was another. And the abolition of, of charter schools uh, in this country, which is staggering to me. Uh, that they would actually, in prime time, talk about getting rid of charter schools, public charter schools with federal dollars, that money they say should go into into current public schools as opposed to charter schools. And I just, I, I still think the GOP, uh, as a party, needs to do a better job highlighting the issue of, of education in this country. And it just seems like there's such an opportunity there, uh, given their, their antagonism towards, of all things, public charter schools. We're not even talking private schools here. You're exactly right. So this is a real issue, and we're going to have our chance to respond in this coming week. Uh, and so I know that the president, as we move towards next Thursday, is doing, going to do a great job in regards to this. But when I talk, and kind of tie in just a few minutes ago, what we talked about, and when I talk uh, with black pastors as a, as a congressman, when I go and visit my district, they have sat me down and gone through a list of things. Uh, they said, look, we care about Second Amendment rights, you may not know this, but we care about Second Amendment rights, and we care about school choice. And so that ties right into this. There's all these Democrat assumptions that just aren't so is what people really care for. They think that they've got uh, a lock on uh, minority voters, but I don't think that's true anymore. You know, people may have uh, take issue with the president's style, uh, but it's not about style. It's about what they what the president and his administration delivers for you. And this, I mean, he has led to the lowest African-American unemployment in history, lowest women's unemployment in history, the best economy in 50 years. And then, I mean, you look at all that, plus his support of school choice. And look, I think the Democrats are nervous when it comes to uh, minority voting uh, this year. And uh, I, I really think that we've got a great opportunity here to break down assumptions that have developed over the last 60 years. I, I'm glad you, you put it in that way because I'm, I really do think that when you look at the trajectory of the Democratic Party and the people they highlighted on stage, they are increasingly becoming a party of, of rich white secularists who are hostile to cultural Christianity, cultural, social, traditional values. And so many black and Hispanic voters are some of the most culturally conservative people in the country. And I, I, I'm looking at that Democratic convention this weekend. Sadly, I watched all four nights and, and I'm just my, my brain is dead today having watched that. My sympathies, and, Eric, my, my total yeah, sympathies for the time. That I, you I did never sneak recover. out and watch the Braves on Monday night, but I, I just <laughs> man, it, it, I, I can't I can't if you're committed to your faith. Watching the Democrats on stage for four days, I, I, I don't know what you can get out of that party these days. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, I don't either. And I was, I was, I'd rather wait for the memes. They're much better than actually watching <laughs> the, uh, yeah. the the actual convention. And I, I was with my 16 year old daughter. And I said, hey, you know, I've got to, you know, daddy's got to work. I got to turn this thing on. I watched it. And she was like, is this thing live? I was like, no, this is a highlight reel uh, of when, when Joe had it together. And uh, they, they kind of piece together some clips of uh, some cognitive moments and realize what's happening. We got to watch this. And this is a strategy, I think, I don't know, intentional or unintentional, but they have lowered the bar so low for Joe Biden that when he steps over it, as last night, they call it a victory. I had a great professor years ago and he, he would joke with our class and he said, if you set your bar low enough, if you set your goals low enough, you'll reach them every time. Well, congratulations. 
They set a really low goal, and they reached it. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you are right. I, I mean, I, I do have to say uh, one of my key takeaways last night was, well, guess what, Republicans? Turns out you're not running against a vegetable. Um, he, he, he was able to show up and he, he stayed on stage past 11 o'clock. Uh, I mean, he was he was handling the time better than me and then went to the fire fireworks display. Um, so, I mean, th- there's definitely going to be a race. I, one of the things that I want to ask you about, and, and this is the g- complete separate aside, and, and, and I don't want to catch you off guard on this one, but we've gone aggressively back in the last 48 hours to Russia, Russia, Russia from the media. And I, I happen to know, in fact, it was Mark Meadows who, who pointed this out to me, uh, but I've got your Wikipedia page pulled up there. And so I guess Mark is right because it's here as well. You met your wife on a mission to the Soviet Union in, in 1991. Uh, you happen to have been over there and have seen uh, the Soviet Union and, and transition over there and, and are not exactly a pro-Russia person. And I, I really also been in the Freedom Caucus. You, you know what's going on with this stuff. I'm the mythology from the left right now that the Republicans are somehow captive to Vladimir Putin and Putin stole the election. I given the the chatter in the last forty eight hours, I'd love to get your take on that. Yeah, you know the Democrats' playbook. I'll have two two points here. One, the Democrats' playbook is simply this. I'm going to boil it all down. If they're accusing of something, it's what they're actually doing. So the Democrats always accuse of their own sins. And if you are hearing any Democrat complain, especially in recent years, it is exactly what they are doing and they are actually guilty of. And the other is, look, I have been, I was there in 1991. If you'll remember your history, that was the week of the coup or the August one. So it was exactly what, 28 years ago that I was there, mm-hmm. uh, 29 years ago. Um, and it, you know, we went, we came home, we turned on this new network which was CNN at the time, and there was Lenin's statue being torn down. <laughs> one, one definitely worth being torn down. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's great to have met my wife over there, and she has great English. She's from West Virginia, and, uh, you know, she's not actually Russian. So. Yeah. But we had a, it was a phenomenal Yeah, I guess I should have clarified that. I knew that. I'm yeah. glad you clarified that, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you. So she's not a Russian mole. She is uh, amazing. We've been married 26 years this last week, and uh, uh, hopefully she's within earshot right now. But anyway, she's uh, uh, you, look. We saw the contrast. We saw w- when they figured out what was in my my backpack when I got off the bus in Red Square. We had Christian literature that they had been um, that had been stripped away from them since 1917. This was 1991. The older women that could remember they would weep when they saw what we had of tears of joy. I thought they were stealing from me. They would take armloads of what we had and they would pass it out to their friends. They were so happy to have, be able to get Christian, Christian literature and the gospel and to share that with other people. And it was, it was eye opening to see how oppressive it had been. The shelves in the grocery store were empty. There were lines for barely nothing. And we have the left wanting to replicate that. That is ridiculous. So let's realize with caution what the left is actually offering us. It has never worked. In fact, it has destroyed more lives than any war, any particular war, what the left is offering. We're talking tens of millions of deaths in the 21st century because of what the left is pandering to us right now. 
Well, that that's a great answer. Uh, I, I appreciate it, and it's just it, it's baffling to me how uh, after a week of of pointing out QAnon as a conspiracy, suddenly the left is all about the Russia conspiracy. It, it, it's amazing how we've got to take seriously the conspiracies that blue check mark people on Twitter believe, like the post office is somehow going to steal the election. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah. Look, uh, that's that's totally ridiculous. And I, look, I happen to be the a congressman for. Uh, the postmaster general. I mean, he lives in North Carolina. And, uh, oh, so you're part of man. the conspiracy to what, steal it, huh? <laughs> oh yeah, I, I asked him years ago. I said, you know, why are you supporting? Uh, why are you supporting the president? And he said, I'm just tired of politicians screwing up our country. And um, and, and you know what? The, the president said. I, he said, I don't. He says, Lewis doesn't ask for anything. He helps me, but he doesn't ask for anything. Um, and this, our postmaster general is a great patriot. Of course, to even eliminate any accusation, he's pushed off all changes until after the election. That's fine. We'll figure that out after we win. But, uh, you know, again, we've got some great patriots here who want to have an honest system, and I'm proud of them. Well, listen, I I appreciate you taking time to stop. I have enjoyed this. Uh, Last question for you. What's your favorite gun? All of (laughs) them. The one I'm shooting. (laughs) (laughs) Good answer. The one I just sold to a great customer or the one that I'm shooting. So. Good answer. Well, listen, right. thanks very much for stopping by. I appreciate it. Honored. Thanks so much, Eric. Absolutely. Ted Budd, congressman from North Carolina. Seriously, man owns a huge gun store uh, outside Winston-Salem. Uh, and yeah, I just, you can talk to the lawyer and the doctor ones all day, the congressman, and I love them, the, but a gun store owner. We we got one of those in, in and you know, uh, Andrew Clyde is, is going to join him. We'll have two gun stores. They may be the only two in Congress. Um, uh, up in Northeast, replacing Doug Collins. The, the Democrat is not going to win in that race. Uh, Andrew Clyde is going to win that race. So we'll have at least two gun store owners in Congress, which will be fantastic. Okay. Uh, I, I'm going to step on some toes now. You know, I I, I was somebody on, on Twitter last night uh, said the one reason that he follows me is that I tend to make everybody mad. <laughs> Uh, and, and I do, um, I, I, I am a conservative, I am a Christian and I just, there's so much BS out there these days on both sides. And it just, it, it, it the intellectual honesty and uh, the lack of it annoys me. Um, and it's one of my frustrations with, you know, like all of the Democrats who defended Barack Obama playing golf now attack Donald Trump for playing golf and all the Republicans who attacked Barack Obama for playing golf now defend Donald Trump for playing golf. I just be, be consistent, people. I, I I don't care whether you're on the left or the right. Be consistent. Uh, I I am of the right, uh, and and I I I think a lot of people who use the conservative label these days aren't really. Um, they're they're all about owning the left, and they don't care if if the government goes bankrupt as long as you own the left. And and I'm conservative. No no no, you're not. You're populist populist on the right, and that's fine. Uh, but just stop stop stealing stealing the conservative brand. It actually should mean something. One of the frustrations that I have as well are the number of grifters on the right, uh, the, the the people who are just trying to cash in on your passion for the president. It has actually been one of my chief complaints about the president's campaign. I think that a lot of the people around the president, and I think Brad Parscale is guilty of this, they've, they've gotten filthy rich off of the president and his campaign, and they really haven't done much for him. And I'm glad the president shook up his campaign and I, I happen to know he was made aware of the fact that there were people on his campaign who really weren't doing what they were saying they were doing and, and were getting rich off of him. And the president, 
the president has many flaws. We all know them. There's no reason to revisit them. One of the endearing characteristics of this president is that he is deeply, deeply, deeply loyal to his base. And when the president finds out that anyone is cashing in on his base, it makes him very angry. And that leads me to the Steve Bannon story. Four people indicted by federal authorities in New York, uh, essentially uh, fundraising off building a wall for themselves. That There were claims that they would spend all the money raised to build the wall. And the money was actually divvied up in various ways between them. And they got rich. Very, very little, if any, of the money went towards anything uh, resembling a fund to build the wall. Steve Bannon apparently was involved with it. And I've, I've gotten emails from a couple of listeners to this program. Uh, I will, they will go nameless, uh, love them, but um, here, here's, here's the stuff. One, the, the central thesis of the emails is that why are the FBI continuing to harass conservatives? Why aren't they also indicting progressives? that they're, they're persecuting conservatives. No, you know, to quote President Trump, it is what it is. Uh, there are people grifting off conservatives these days. It is predominant on the right right now because the right has the White House. Uh, you will have left-wing grifters when, if a Democrat ever takes back the White House. If Joe Biden becomes president, uh, you will have left-wing grifters who, who grift off people on the left. But right now, the Republicans control the White House, so it's the conservative grifters you have to worry about who are making money off of people. I Listen, I, I don't really know Steve Bannon, but I, I don't care for the guy. I know, to, listen, I, I've had experience with him. He's an unpleasant person. Uh, I, I don't particularly care for him. I know a number of people in conservative media who uh, are are excited by the news because they view him as some level of menace, some of whom have, have uh, nationally syndicated talk shows uh, who are not fans of the guy. And... I think that we frankly need more indictments of conservative grifters and not less because there are plenty out there. I listen, no, I'm not going to name names. I, I don't do that. Uh, but what I do do is I try to steer people to good organizations. And I try to, for example, I don't like to cite the Hill on this program as a source because I think the Hill feeds off of outrage clicks and I don't like to incentivize that. Uh, you're not going to hear me talk about various Tea Party groups out there because I think a lot of the Tea Party groups that still exist out there really have, have kind of lost their way and are just uh, minions for the, the Trump campaign. And I would rather you send money to the Trump campaign than some of these third-party groups uh, that, that are kind of zombie groups that exist out there. I, I do my best to vet. I'm not perfect, but I try to make sure you're not going to get ripped off. Uh, the idea that you would build a – and, you know, I joked on this program – and on, on my other radio program, when, when all the border wall stuff was happening with the government shutdown in 2019, uh, was joking that someone should go start a GoFundMe account. And I bet they could raise millions of dollars. I actually argued that the president should start a fund and allow all the people who gave him money or voted for him to give money. And if each of the people who voted for the president had given $100, you would have had several billion dollars to be able to build the wall and that he should have done it because a lot of the people who support the president want to build the wall. But along comes this this thing. They raised $25 million, and it apparently was a scam. At least that's the allegation from the uh, Department of Justice. Uh, there's no reason to defend it. Uh, there, there's no reason to defend it. Uh, I frankly think we need more indictments on the right right now. There are a lot of grifters out there still. 
Before I get out of here, I want to tell you this hour is brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. If you want to check them out, if you're a business, go to firstlibertyga.com. They they don't help individuals, but they do help businesses. First Liberty Building and Loan, their website, firstlibertyga.com. If you need access to capital, if you need credit, you need loans uh, for your business to keep it going or to increase its value or grow it, firstlibertyga.com. If you need any questions answered on the PPP stuff, you can go there as well. Firstlibertyga.com is their website. And I sure do thank First Liberty for sponsoring. We couldn't have gotten the show off the ground without them. And I want to help them. So firstlibertyga.com is their website if you need them. Computer systems and cars are the new normal from electronically controlled transmissions to touchscreen displays to dozens of sensors to your, your car play, your Android play, whatever. You, you got all this stuff. But you can't fix any of those new features yourself, so when something breaks, it can cost a fortune, and now is not the time for expensive repairs. You need CarShield. CarShield has affordable protection plans that can save you thousands for covered repair, including computers, GPS, electronics, and the like. The people at CarShield understand payment flexibility is an absolute must. Monthly payments can be customized to your needs with rates as low as $99 a month. There's no long-term contract or commitments. CarShield gives you options others won't. You get to choose your favorite mechanic or dealership to do the work. CarShield takes care of the rest. They offer complimentary 24-7 roadside assistance. They offer rental car when yours is being fixed. CarShield has helped over a million customers. So drive with confidence knowing you've got coverage from America's number one auto protection company for as low as $99 a month. You can protect yourself from surprises. You can save thousands for a covered repair. Call 800-CAR-6000. 800-CAR-6000. Mention code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K. Or visit carshield.com and use code Eric. You save 10%. That's carshield.com, code Eric, a deductible man. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. The phone number, it's Friday. You can call in about other stuff. I'm so tired of the Democratic Convention. The, the phone number here is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. <clears throat> I went on a little bit of a tirade last night. While I was watching that convention, uh, y'all, it just, it, it wasn't good. And, and I'm not talking about, listen, how do I, how do I explain this to you? Cause you know, most people did not watch that. I took one for the team. I want you to know I suffered through that. I nearly killed my liver and died of alcohol poisoning just for you people. So y'all wouldn't have to watch it. I watched it for you. And I, 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 I don't know why I did. I, I don't know why I did. I just, man, I watched it for you, though. And I'm tired today. Y'all, you know, Rush Limbaugh has said sometimes in the past that uh, he has he he knows when he's had a bad show. You'll never know. But he know this is one of those where today I, I can tell I'm tired because four days of watching that stuff, staying up till after midnight, just about every night to try to collect my thoughts and write down notes and stuff. One day I am going to have an intern. One day, one day I'm going to have my beach house and my mountain house and my NetJet subscription and an intern who watches all of this garbage for me and tells me what to think. And he'll be the most influential person in my life because he'll be telling me what to think. Until then, I've got to do it myself. <laughs> but while I was watching it during the John, the, the John Lewis stuff was actually nice. They did a good job, I thought, uh, for what it was. But while I was watching it, I, I decided I needed to go off on a tangent i needed to um i i i needed to 
I needed to get something off my chest. And I want to get it off my chest with you guys as well. Won't be as good as the first time. It never is. But I, I got, so there's a guy who fo- he follows me on Twitter and he says he stopped listening to me. That I changed. I'm like, I, I, hadn't, I hadn't changed. And he's like, yeah, I, he says, I, I can't really articulate it, but you changed. And I'm like, you, you got to tell me, how, how have I changed? So it takes him a day. It takes him a day. And he finally comes back and he says, here is how you've changed. You used to care passionately about our side winning I forget exactly how he worded it, but basically you no longer recognize that destruction is coming unless we fight like hell. And you know what? I I, I want to address that because uh, I get that a lot from a lot of people who particularly they listen a lot to talk radio to other shows uh, that we are always in perpetual existential crisis. Uh, we are always one election away from the destruction of the country. And and so I want to address that because I, I think in, in fairness, he, he made a lot of dumb points, but he made, made, made one good point there that I think is worth addressing. And yeah, I think I got to acknowledge that I have changed and I want to tell you why. When I started my evening program, I started talking a lot about faith and values along the way. So I believe as a conservative that I'm not just conservative on fiscal issues, but on cultural and social issues as well. I'm an evangelical. I'm a Christian. And those issues matter to me. Life matters to me. I I can't vote for someone who's pro-abortion. But I'm also a conservative activist. And and when I was at Red State for 10 years, I was was very keen on on developing activists and and very mindful of the fact that the Republican establishment wanted our votes, but they really didn't want us. They they needed our our votes, but they really, they didn't like our issues. And the Republicans, just like the Democrats, are profligate spenders. They're not really as pro-life as they claim, nor are they socially conservative. Every year, seems like comes out, we've got another Republican who's supposedly pro-life, who's got a secret family somewhere or is or is, is closeted gay and, and really doesn't believe those values. And the media eventually allows them to, to get an MSNBC contract where they come out and they denounce everything they supposedly stood for in the past. And, and it just it, it infuriates me that I feel like so often conservatives get played. But there's something else that's been happening in the last number of years, the level of anger and despondency within a conservative movement that I always viewed was somewhat Christ-based at least, and they've gotten progressively more angry, and they blame the other side, and they never even look to see that their own side has been playing them. And that's one reason we actually got Donald Trump is that a lot of people figured it out. You know, the Republican establishment's been playing us for fools as well. Nothing's gotten better. But we still have this tendency that I once believed and pursued, and this is where that guy, where where he puts his finger on the money of how I've changed. I really did used to believe that we've got one more election or else. This is the election, and and I would would tell people, this is the election. We've got to fight. You got to fight now. You got to fight. You got to fight. You got to fight. If we we don't win this election, it's over. And, And you know what? Barack Obama won. And then in 2010, we, we got to take back the house. We got to take back the house. Well, we took back the house. And, and what actually happened? Not, not a whole lot. 
in 2012 with Romney, I, I mean, I, I remember the, the the greats of talk radio saying this, this is it. We, we got to do this. This is it or else. And, and we didn't. The country's still here. And then we get to 2016 and it's, it's this, it, it, it's socialism or else. Well, we win this election. I, I, I don't expect us to win the election and we do, but you know what? Here we are, it's 2020, Obamacare is still the law of the land. They haven't gotten rid of it. We're at $27 trillion in national debt. The GOP has increased uh, roughly uh, $7 trillion in the debt in four years. Uh, the, the Republicans themselves are selling things out. It's not just the Democrats. And, and yet I'm supposed to believe that we have, that this election is going to save America or we're going to be on a social side. We already got socialism. The question is to what extent? Obamacare is the law of the land, folks. The Republicans told us if we gave them the House, the Senate, and the White House, they'd repeal it. We did. They didn't do anything. Culturally, the president put people on the Supreme Court who, uh, Neil Gorsuch, Decided that transgenderism is an employment issue. I think he'll do a good job protecting churches, but I, I just I, I have a hard time at this point getting really excited by the idea that we got one more election to save the country. And, and here, the bottom line here is I've read the end of the book. No country is permanent, and eternity is more important. And and I, I'm not going to behave like some godless secularist atheist to try to win the country uh, when it puts my soul at stake. Now, now I'm, I'm Calvinist, just so you understand. I, I, I believe in the elect and I believe in, in, in predestination and all that, whether you do or not. Uh, but for those of you who don't, your free will, um, you're putting your soul at stake when you behave like the other side. And there are a lot of people who claim to love Jesus, but want to behave in politics like the other side. It's like they want to separate politics from their faith that you can be an American and you can be a Christian and, and the one does not impact the other. And to the extent they do, it's the Americanness that impacts the Christianity. Uh, you're, you're only a Christian for an hour on Sunday. And, and these days you're not going to church. So you don't really even have to be. And I, I think you gotta be. And so the, to the extent that I have changed, it's that I think eternity is way more important than this country. And I'm just trying to get home to eternity. And I'm tired of whipping people into frenzies about the politics of the day when deep down I know nothing's really going to change. And you can fundamentally believe that uh, when Barack Obama uh, was president that the country went to hell in a handbasket. But you know why it went to hell in a handbasket? Went to hell in a handbasket, not because of Barack Obama, because of the people. Netflix does not put out a, a show that caters to uh, pedophiles unless the Netflix algorithm suggests to it that a whole lot of people want to watch a show about 11-year-old twerkers, if you've seen, if you know the the, the controversy over Cutie. And, and by the way, it's not just Democrats watching that show. It's not just Democrats who watch porn. It's not just Democrats who use drugs. It's not just Democrats. Who, there are a lot of Republicans out there. We're all sinners. Let's stop pretending that the other side wants to destroy the country. They just have a different way of how they think the country is going to work. And you and I could look at it and say this would be economically harmful. It would be catastrophe. Uh, but but stop saying that they're somehow evil. We're all evil. We're, we're all sinners. We've all fallen short. 
Um, and, and this idea that that has infested within the conservative movement that somehow we're better than the other side. Now, I think we have better ideas, but we're not exactly engaging on those ideas right now. We're too busy hating the other side. And, and ultimately, the bottom line is that Washington is not going to do anything to improve the situation. It doesn't matter whether you capture Washington or not. Scripture is very clear. Seek the welfare of the city in which you're in exile. So unless you live in Washington, D.C., focus on your hometown where you live. The Olivet Discourse is, is um, all the, the Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have the Olivet Discourse. Luke 21. And, and Luke says in there that when you see that the sun fades and the moon blacks out and the stars disappear from the sky, lift up your head. Lift up your head. He says those are, those are the signs of the end times is... is that and a lot of people get a little confused because that this the Olivet discourse ties in the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple with the end times. But one of the things he says is is and there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the earth for the power of the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And I don't see that reflected in a lot of people who call themselves Christian right now. You're not straightening up and raising your heads. You got your heads buried in your laptops and on your phones, spittle-fueled rage, scowling about what the Democrats are going to do. But it's not just the Democrats, it's the Republicans too. It's not just progressives, there are some conservatives too. And to the extent that I've changed, yeah, it's that I, I realize there are more important issues. There are bigger things in life. And, and we've, we've tend to conflate the other side is bad and we're good and, and uh, we're all sinners. And do I have a team? Yeah, I have a team. Do, do I want the president to win? Yeah, I want the president to win. But, but is it worth sacrificing my soul or behaving like the other side to get it done? No, no, it's not because there are bigger things, bigger priorities in life than winning an election. And if you really think the country is going to end if Joe Biden gets elected, you're the same person who believed the country would end when Barack Obama got elected. And guess what? You're still here. You're you're still here. The country's still here. You can only draw hyperbole so much before it no longer makes sense. And I used to be that guy. I used to believe, my goodness, the country's going to go to hell in a handbasket. The country's going to go to hell in a handbasket, whoever gets elected. I mean, for God's sakes, we've got a president right now who's cheated on his three wives, slept with a porn star while his third wife was pregnant, and somehow y'all are okay with that because he's he's fighting the other side. And you know what? He is fighting the other side, but let's at least examine what's going on in the country and be realist about it instead of claiming that one side is better than the other side or one side is sin-free than the other side. It all kind of disgusts me these days that that's why i'm good at this job because i hate everybody at this point nobody wants to realize what's going on you know what's going on i've read the end of the book the whole world goes down the slippery slope sliding to gomorrah's as robert bork would have said we're all going to hell in a handbasket the whole country is i mean i've read the end of the book there's a cultural decline that's going to happen and it's going to happen globally 
and you voting for a particular politician is not going to stop it. That's not an excuse for you to abdicate playing a role in your country's politics, but let's not just pretend that one politician is going to keep the slide from happening. The slide is going to happen, and you know what you're supposed to do? Straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And what does the straighten up and raise your heads mean? No, you're not going to see Jesus floating on a cloud tomorrow. He's not coming back tomorrow. I can say that with definitive certainty. Jesus is not coming back tomorrow. I can say it with definitive certainty because there are prophecies in the Bible that have not yet been fulfilled, but it's coming. So straighten up your head. And instead of yelling at your neighbor, love your neighbor. Instead of screaming about the Democrats, actually advocate for your policy. Instead of presuming the other side is bad and going to wreck the country, why don't you actually try to get to know them? It's not easy to love your neighbor when they hate everything that you stand for, but you're still supposed to do it. And stop fretting about what Washington's going to do. You know, your local school board's going to impact your life more than Washington, D.C. Your local mayor is going to impact your your community more than Washington, D.C. And yet everybody's so fixated on Washington, D.C., fixate on your community instead. Stop being so convinced that the world is going to end tomorrow if your political party loses. There's nothing permanent in American politics. The party that loses today is the party that wins tomorrow. We've already got socialism in this country and we're on the road to hell anyway. Eternity matters a whole lot more. And I just refuse at this point to do the dog and pony show where I'm supposed to whip you into a frenzy all the time about the outrage of the day when actually there are bigger things, more important things that matter. And too many people are lying to you, telling you half the story. And my job, I feel like at this point, is to put the pieces of the story together and tell you what's actually happening so you actually know what's going on and and explain to you whether it's good or bad without trying to whip you into a a, a spittle-fueled rage. Lift your head up, people. Lift your head up. Redemption's near. Stop being so mad about everything. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, are is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Let's talk about Goodyear Tire for just a minute. Uh, American company that wants its employees to be able to say Black Lives Matter, but not Blue Lives Matter. Now, I can understand, and and when I originally heard the story, the focus was on uh, MAGA. Goodyear Tires does not want people uh, at work wearing Make America Great Again stuff uh, because it is tied directly to the Trump campaign and they don't want their employees wearing political things. And so I I, I thought it was silly at first when I first heard this that the outrage seemed to be over MAGA and and it was understandable private business doesn't want some of its employees being identified with a political party, but it's actually more than that. They want you to be able to wear Black Lives Matter stuff but not Blue Lives Matter stuff, and and they say that that is a political statement where the Black Lives Matter is a statement of social justice. Why? Why? So the police, you're not allowed to say police matter, at a time that Democrats and progressive activists want to mothball police stations and gut police departments. And by the way, don't tell me this isn't happening in Austin, Texas, in Los Angeles, California, in Portland, Oregon, in Seattle, Washington, in uh, Chicago, Illinois, in New York City. They actually are taking money away from police departments. They are defunding police departments. In Minneapolis, Minnesota, recall, they decided to get rid of their police department and do something else. 
And Goodyear doesn't want you to be able to say police matter. Now, listen, they're a private company. They can do whatever they want. But this is one of the things that conservatives are going to have to contend with here in the next number of years. The the number of uh, businesses in this country that have been so um, instilled with left-wing values at the corporate level uh, that they become increasingly hostile to conservative values. Look at Georgia, for example. Georgia is in the minority of states without a Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Even California has a version of RIFRA, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. But every time Georgia tries to pass it, it is Fortune 500 companies like Coca-Cola and Home Depot and Delta Airlines and Hollywood Studios who raise and fund the opposition against a Religious Freedom Restoration Act, a a, a, a RIFRA. Uh, All it does is say that the state cannot force you to violate your religion unless there's no other way for it to do what it intends to do and what it intends to do is legal. That's it. It has nothing to do with the the baker uh, refusing to bake a cake for, for someone who's gay. And yet they would have you believe otherwise. Time and time again, it is the Fortune 500 uh, that sells out conservatives. They're in Fortune 500, by the way, the Democrats would not be able to get away with half the stuff they get away with without the Fortune 500 doing it. Now, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm not a big boycotter. I, I just, you know what, if you don't want to shop somewhere, don't shop somewhere. If you don't want to use Goodyear tires, don't use Goodyear tires. I, I don't care. I, it's not a religious thing to me. So there are so many people I know on the left who actually actively have lists of companies they won't shop at because they're considered too conservative or Trump friendly. I, I don't have enough time in my life to do that. But I would point out it is ridiculous that uh, Fortune 500 companies seem overwhelmingly to cater to the left these days. And I do think at some point conservatives are going to have to recognize that they do have market share in this country and they do have influence in this country. And and you're going to have to have voices on the right steer people to and away from products, not through calls of boycotts and things like that, but just through recommendations and others. I, I, I would not recommend a Goodyear tire at this point to, to fringe, just given that they're so captured by the left that you can't even voice support for police. I suspect there are going to be some police departments around the country that feel the same way, that uh, Goodyear will let you side with progressive activists in the streets, but not the police protecting, well, Goodyear shops. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. Um, I want to I want to review the Democratic Convention. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, but um, it, it's over now. It's over. Uh, I I sat. Well, okay. So Monday night, I sat in a a bathtub and had a few beers and and watched the convention and figured I could drown myself if it got too bad. Uh, and then the, the now I guess Monday night actually I know yeah Monday night I I watched the Braves play so it was I only watched three nights I had to go back and watch the highlights that's why I think it's four nights since I missed Monday I had to rewatch the highlights so years ago I was at CNN I was at CNN for three years uh, 2010 or how long was I at CNN. 2010, 11, and 12. Yeah, I left in 2013, went to Fox, and was at Fox from 2013 to 2018 or 19. Um, yeah, I was at Fox for a long time. Uh, and, but while I was at CNN, I, during the 2012 Republican debates, if you recall the 2012 election, for those of you who didn't repress it, um, there were a ton of debates then as well. And one of the debates... I didn't have to be on TV. I didn't need to be on TV. I, I I had other stuff to do, and I just flat out simply 
did not watch the debate. And I commented as much that it was a waste of time. We weren't going to learn anything new. I wasn't going to watch the debate. Sam Feist, who was then the political director for CNN, he's now the head of the Washington Bureau, uh, say what you will about CNN. Sam Feist is awesome, cares deeply about politics and the process and educating people. He he runs a sharp political team. He manages and oversees all the CNN debates, which frankly are still to this day some of the best debates that you can have uh, on on TV at the presidential level. He's just he's an all around good guy back when I was half the person I am now. Uh, he runs and we would be confused as, as people would think he was me and I was him. Um, now I'm fat and he's not, nobody confuses us, <laughs> but so I, I, I commented on, on the, the, not watching the debate and he reached out to me and he said, man, don't, don't tell people this he says you're a political pundit. People expect you to have opinions on stuff and you're going to have an opinion on this and you've now got it out there. You haven't even watched it. So when you're asked a question about it and give an opinion, People know you haven't actually watched it. Don't ever tell people you didn't watch stuff like this. And, you know, I really took that to heart. And for years and years and years, I would not tell people if I didn't watch a debate, if I was gone or something, I I, I wouldn't talk about it. I wouldn't say it, wouldn't engage with it, but I never felt guilty offering an opinion on it. Well, I I was just as a matter of fact, I, I was open on Monday. I didn't watch it. I watched the Braves beat the Nationals, which was perfect. America beating Washington is always a good thing to see. And, but I had to go back and watch the highlights because guess what? I got a radio show. I got five hours of radio. And so I had to go back and watch Michelle Obama's speech and and the other speeches and stuff. And I did. But then I watched Tuesday and I watched Wednesday and I watched Thursday and I survived. I'm tired. I can actually feel it. Gosh, I, I have hit 45 and, and I can, I am a night owl, but being a night owl and staying up all night and then getting up at six o'clock in the morning uh, and doing show prep and then having three hours on radio where people are listening more often than they're calling in, it, it gets a little grueling. And this week has been especially grueling watching that and the kids started back to school yesterday. So we've had all that going on. But I, allow me, if you will, to review a couple of things that stand out in my mind about the Democratic Convention because none of you watched it, let's be honest. In fact, the ratings are terrible. The ratings were abysmal. Normally, ratings for political conventions are okay, And the networks take them for the team just because people need to find out what's going on. But the ratings for this, they're really actually terrible. There were some good moments at the Democratic Convention, believe it or not. Uh, The roll call of the states, I actually liked that. Uh, Steph Cutter, who was a a spokeswoman for the Obama team and she worked for Hillary Clinton, she oversaw the Democratic Convention and she did a good job. We got to give her credit for that. Now, for those, since none of you watched it, the roll call of the states was done either via satellite live or pre-recorded clips of voters in certain states or public officials casting their uh, votes for president. You see the roll call of states at every political convention. You got a bunch of people clustered together on the floor of the convention with a sign. And it says, uh, the, 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 the Georgia, the peach state, the home of this and that, and we actually grow more blueberries than peaches now. Go Braves, Tomahawk Chop. We cast our votes for whoever. You, you know it. And the Texans, they all wear the, the these boisterous cow, red cowboy outfits with giant Stetsons and Texas, a country within the country that's the greatest country and we don't care about you other states we don't even know you exist we cast our votes for so and so 
they normally do that on the floor. Well, this they had to do it individually, and they had to do it around the country, and they actually did a really good job. So it starts like Alabama. They're at the um, Pettus Bridge where John Lewis crossed. Here in Georgia, it, it's uh, Nakimi Williams who's going to replace John Lewis in the Senate or in the in the House. She's standing with a John Lewis mural behind her. Uh, and they did around the not just around the country, but around the world, because you had the Northern Marianas Islands in there. It was actually the next day there when they cast their vote. It, it, it was well done. It, it was well done. And the Jill Biden stuff, Jill, not Joe, Jill Biden stuff was well done. It's interesting to me that they they treated her more favorably than Kamala Harris, which kind of tells you everything you need to know. Biden's speech, it was fine. It was nothing exciting. Uh, it was not the, the soaring oratory that you'd normally expect from these sorts of things, but it's Joe Biden. As Peggy Noonan says, he 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 goes down long trails to make short points and stuff like that, and, and that's exactly what he did. Um, and it, it, that stuff was fine. But then they had this glorified Zoom call conversations and these little clips of American voters. And, and, you know, some of them claim to be Republicans, and it turns out more than half of them were actually registered Democrats anyway. That They weren't Republicans. They were just claiming to be. It was the stuff that you didn't see that was the problematic stuff. Now, what was that? Well, you know, the conventions aren't just from 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. There's actually a lot of stuff that happens in the hours preceding prime time where they're still meeting. And, and one of those involved Linda Sarsour, who hates Israel. And even the Biden campaign has had to distance themselves from that. But some of it happened in primetime, like the call to get rid of guns. That happened in primetime. That means the Democrats really want to get rid of guns. The call to raise your taxes to fight climate change happened in primetime. Calling for an abolition of charter schools in this country happened in prime time. And I think every single one of these issues are things that the Republicans next week can focus on. And, and this leads me to the larger point about the Democratic Convention. Their entire focus this week was on how Donald Trump is a bad guy and Joe Biden is a good guy. Donald Trump is aloof and dismissive of you and Joe Biden calls you randomly on your cell phone. The number of stories to people with random calls on their cell phone, I was a little bit offended by the end of last night. It's like Joe Biden's never called me on my cell phone. Donald Trump calls me on my cell phone. Joe Biden doesn't call me on my cell phone. Joe Biden apparently calls everybody in America except me. But they left off real substantive policy. Okay, yeah, they focus a little bit on guns and they focus a little bit on, on the climate change and they focus a little bit on charter schools, but there really wasn't a lot of policy. And the Democrats are really indignant about this, by the way, when you point out that we we talked about gun control legislation and we talked about the Green New Deal. Yeah, but you really didn't do a ton of what do you actually stand for? How are you going to make the country better? How is Joe Biden going to fight the virus? He said we need a national mask mandate. The president of the United States doesn't have the power to impose a national mask mandate. How's he going to do it? That seemed to be his only solution was listen to the advisors and put a mask mandate out there. How is Joe Biden going to, I, I have no idea how Joe Biden is going to do it. They, they were devoid of substance. And that provides an opportunity for the Republicans this coming week, actually, to, to be substantive, to actually delve into it. We don't need a 2,000-page piece of legislation, and we don't need the 20-point plan on health care. 
but to spend a little more time on substance and to contrast it with, with the Democratic substance in the off hours that you didn't see, actually, there there's a real opening for the GOP. We'll see how they put it together. Now, I have heard behind the scenes from people who are in the know uh, that they're having to rearrange some stuff in light of what the Democrats did, like the roll call of the states and stuff like that. They're having to to change up how they're doing stuff. That they 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 saw things that they did on the the Democratic stage and realized they could do it better, like getting rid of the Zoom call stuff. The video conference chatting was just dumb. Frankly, I think if the GOP could do something, it would be to get some of these people before an audience. I, I think the president needs an audience. I still think it's a mistake for the president to address the country from the South Lawn of the White House as as people want him to do and not be, you know the Democrats are going to say, it's a campaign, you can't have a campaign in the White House. That's, that's not the relevant point to me. The relevant point to me is it just, it lacks inspiration. We all know he's president of the United States. Thematically, though, what are you going to do? You go to Yorktown, you go to Gettysburg, as they floated, you, you go to the Alamo. You've got a way to tie greater themes in, and it should be thematic. And frankly, they're doing such a law and order and and conservative uh, versus progressive upending of America thing. They, they really should get out of Washington and go somewhere. Then the other issue is Joe Biden's been in Washington since 1973. Get out of Washington and say, you know, you, you're, you're out of Washington and Washington's the only place Joe Biden's ever really known. That's all he's ever really worked at is, is since 1973. There, there are ways to do this. And they're recalculating some of the stuff they're going to do. They're, they're going to have to do it. But I, I do have to say, listen, this is show the Democrats and the Republicans both some grace on their conventions this year because this is unheard of, uncharted territory for both of them. Uh, There will be no balloon drops. Everything had to be done via satellite. There were delays. There was lag. There were glitches. But it came off okay for what they were trying other than some of the dumb just general programming decisions they made. I'm actually going to be really interested to see what the GOP does next week. Uh, One thing I I do want to say here is the Democrats seem invested in the idea that they have to have celebrities. The Steph Curry segment, they had a, a, a thing with Steph Curry and his family last night. It, it was a waste of time. I, I saw no point in it at all. It was just dumb. Having Julia Louis-Dreyfus and, and, and the various Hollywood celebrities moderate it was just dumb. There was no point there. There really was nothing there. I don't understand the obsession with Hollywood celebrities in the Democratic Party. Does anyone really care that a Hollywood celebrity is backing Joe Biden. I think we already know. Having Billie Eilish come out and bash President Trump. I mean, you look at her with her chartreuse roots and you're thinking, I think I'm going to go for Donald Trump lest people like you have power in this country. I don't understand the fixation. But listen, let's be honest here. The Republicans have started doing it too. You got all the B and C list celebrities in America show up at the Republican convention. I'm like, who is that guy? Wasn't he on a TV show in the 1980s? How is he relevant? It just... Get away from the celebrities, people. Get away from the celebrities, all of you, Democrats and Republicans alike. Now, how's about I take a phone call? I'm going to go to Warner Robins, Georgia, to Tommy. Welcome, Tommy. How are you? Hey, Eric. How you doing today? I'm a, a Trump patriot. But I want to talk to you about the Postal Service. And I had an occasion to move up in the unions because I had an uh, intelligence comeback postmaster in Warner Robins. But uh, I moved up, uh, you know, local, state, national. And uh, the post office has never been designed to make a profit. But the thing about it is 
it it gives Congress the uh, franking privileges, and it does a lot of uh, free postage for different things, and uh, it's just not designed to make a profit. But the thing about it is what people don't understand about the Postal Service is the Postal Inspection Service. And you've never heard a controversy about the Postal Inspection Service. You've heard them about the CIA and the FBI and everything else, but not Postal Inspection Service. And they know everything that me and you do because they know where we live. But anyhow, I went to the FBI one time about some stuff with the uh, Postal Inspection Service, and they said, we can't touch them. Only people that can touch them is Congress. Mm -hmm. So the thing about it is the post office is not designed to make money. It is a, get this definition, semi-quasi-independent governmental agency. Now, let's, let's find out how many people that can define that, you know? But, uh, but now, anyhow, it is in, it, in it, fairness, though, isn't it, it? It's supposed to generate enough revenue to break even and sustain itself without congressional bailout, but never seems well, to be Well, there's able no to do other that. business that goes by every place of business in every house in the United right. States. So, by its own, by its design, it cannot make a profit. Yeah. Yep. Uh, government monopoly I mean, it, it, is, is a fun thing. Now, let me ask you something. I, I found this interesting. It was the postal inspectors that actually arrested Steve Bannon. Well, and they, I think they did out of some of the crooks around uh, Chicago in the old days, too. They yeah, knew oh, that, you they know, I forgot no about that. They did, didn't they, for mail fraud? Yeah, they know they know information on everybody. <laughs> and, no, and, and the FBI can't touch them. Yeah, no, they com- completely separate. Yeah, quasi-separate independent agency. <laughs> Sem- semi-quasi-governmental independent agency, whatever that means. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find we'll purple people leader by the turn of the, after the election or something. I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, you know, this con- this controversy is a false controversy about it the is. Postal Service. They are not going to do away. Congress is not going to do away with the Postal Service. No, I mean, the whole thing's a conspiracy. Listen, Tommy, I, I got to go to break, but I appreciate the phone call. Uh, yeah, you're, you're, you're semi-quasi-independent uh, federal agency. They're, they're run by one-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people eaters. <laughs> Um, you're right. They're not going to get rid of the, this is such a conspiracy by the Democrats and the media. And all it is, is the post office wanted more money than Donald Trump was willing to give them. And so with friends in the media, they turned it into some elaborate ruse to steal the election. It was always BS. And for while we're sitting here, by the way, the head of the post office has testified before Congress said, all we're doing is implementing the plan that Barack Obama's administration designed, but we'll put it on pause until after the election. Uh, you know, facts really do still matter. Truth actually does matter. And, and uh, nobody in Washington seems to be committed to either one as long as they can get you people outraged about stuff. And really, the post office is not going away and Donald Trump's not trying to steal the election. So cut it out. It's almost the weekend. Can you believe it? I had a four-day week this week uh, with you guys. I, well, I had a five-day work week. but I had to do my evening show on Monday, but I had that. I had to go to the, the orientation with my kids at school. By the way, uh, l- let me address this real quick as we, we continue to trend in the right direction. Here, here's one thing that we're already learning after a day of school. The rumor mill starts. I heard so-and-so told so-and-so that so-and-so had the virus. Or someone didn't show up today. They, they must have the virus. Um, that That's going to be one of the hard things that we're all going to have to deal with with going back to school is is there there's a level of distrust with systems in place. 
Are we getting the the information we need? Are they telling us the truth and all of that? And then also the kids gossiping amongst themselves about things going on. Um, and, you know, th- this goes back to, to just even down to elementary school, your kids sometimes come home and they have these very outlandish stories and you start asking what's going on here. And it turns out there's a kernel of truth in what they've said, but the kids have processed it in such a way that it, it, it's very difficult to understand. All, all I can tell you guys is, is you're going to have to be a little graceful and and give people some grace and, and be calm as your kids start going back to school. It has been nice to have a little bit of quiet in the house. Although I was telling Jim this morning before we started the show that it's completely disrupted my routine to a degree because I get up at 6.30 typically and start uh, prepping for the show. And now my kids are getting up about 6.40. And so I've got about 10 minutes before they come downstairs and start talking and really can't get back to stuff until they're out of the house an hour uh, an hour later. Uh, and, and trying to help them, oh, can't find my shoe or can't find my mask. And, and I, I, you know, we, we did this. We did this before the pandemic, but they have been home since February and now suddenly are back in school and people are nervous about sending their kids to school. A lot of people want to do video learning. I've got a a buddy of mine in Indiana. His kids are doing virtual learning, but they're actually so desperate to go back to school. He actually got them in the car yesterday that yesterday was the first day of school, got them in the car and took them to school and then turned around and took them back home just because they wanted the routine having done it. Um, like nerds, <laughs> but uh, you know, they're, they're starting to do it. I, I, I am really mindful that kids do need that human interaction. I, you know, I worry about my kids, uh, just given what I do for a living and we've had people show up at the house more than once. Uh, and we, we had three guys show up in 2016 to threaten us. They were on the front porch and, uh, the kids have been harassed in grocery stores. My, my kids are maybe a little more shy than others and trying to get them around other people. My 14 year old just would prefer to be a hermit. Uh, and that social interaction is just such an important thing with kids. Even those who are introverted to build up their endurance, to sustain themselves around other people. It, it's kind of a, I, I'm, I'm, we're in the camp that just felt like it was necessary to get the kids back to school. And your mileage may vary on that. Your school system's mileage may vary on that. Uh, but I am going to tell you when the routines get going, um, try to tamp down on the gossip and the rumors and focus on being graceful to everybody else, because man, we are learning on the fly how to navigate through this virus still today on August 21st. Have a good weekend. Now that's a parking spot. Introducing the I may have underestimated the size of my car policy with accident forgiveness from American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote. Find an agent. Visit AmFam.com. Optional policy features not included in base policies. Review policy for coverages and exclusions. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, SI, and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Now that's a parking spot. Introducing the I may have underestimated the size of my car policy with accident forgiveness from American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote. Find an agent. Visit AmFam.com. Optional policy features not included in base policies. Review policy for coverages and exclusions. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.